uh, it was an interesting uh, morning. And I think we should take a moment and pray for our kids' teams with the kids all fueled with chocolate the last four or five hours. It's going to be an experience for them. They will need lots of coffee afterwards. Easter changes lives. Easter Sunday is a momentous moment. We are a people, a culture, actually, who are desperate for life change. We only need to look at Amazon and search books about life change or go into Waterstones, go into a bookstore and do that. There's hundreds of thousands of books promising life change. I want to read out a couple to you. Superfoods, 14 foods that will change your life. Another one, change your voice, change your life. A quick, simple plan for finding and using your natural dynamic voice. Change your aura, change your life. A step-by-step guide to unfolding your spiritual power. Uh, Any of us here know anyone who's really lazy? Here's two books we can put on their birthday list. Change your life without getting out of bed. (laughs) The ultimate nap book. This is actually a book. Some people are few. I've never seen people write notes so quickly. Or if you're really, really lazy, how to change your entire life by doing absolutely nothing. Some celeb editions as well. Trini and Susanna, what you wear can change your life. As you can see. Feng Feng Shui, arranging your home to change your life. But my all-time favorite, change your underwear, change your life. Quick and easy ways to make your life fun and exciting. (laughs) I wonder if these books have helped anyone. I wonder. I'll let you know in a few weeks once I've read them. But you see, these books, some of them being absolutely ridiculous, might paper over some cracks, but at the heart of the issue, the real change will never truly come. It's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. Why are these books so popular? Because... Folk are desperate to see change in their lives for something more. A pastor in the U.S. called Tony Evans tells the story of uh, this crack that started to appear in his bedroom wall. So he got a plasterer in, and they papered over, papered, not papered over, it filled it. Papered, uh, they filled the cracks with the stuff that you fill the cracks with, and smoothed it with the thing that you smooth the thing with. And you can tell I, I'm really good at DIY. Sanded it sanded it down, painted it over, and repaired it. Happy days. Sorted. Months later, it returns. It's the same crack, but it returns with a vengeance. A vengeance, is that the word? Yes, I think it is. Lots more cracks appear. The wall is looking terrible. Cracks are just filling the wall. And another plasterer is like, I'm not going back to this guy. I'm going to ask another guy. So he gets another plasterer to the house, and he says, "Eh, what's going on? What's going on? And he says, you don't have problems with cracks in your walls. And the guy just looks at him and goes, what? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at the walls. There's cracks on the walls. There is problems with cracks in the walls. Plaster's like, nope. You don't have problems with cracks in the walls. The foundations are shifting. I can come and fill it and paint it, but they'll keep coming back more and more. Sort the foundation, you'll sort out the cracks on the wall. The problem is at the foundation. In our lives, in our cities, people are searching, hoping, yearning 
for the cracks in their lives to be fixed. And the only, only, only answer is Jesus. The foundation of our lives needs to be fixed. We have journeyed with people whose marriages were at the very brink. The very brink. And the foundations were tended to. And Jesus, in his miraculous nature, entered into that space. And now they're thriving. We have journeyed with folk who have taken wrong roads and made wrong decisions. Roots of destruction. Whose foundations were rebuilt with Jesus. And everything's changed. They're not the same people anymore. Easter is all about life change. Belief in Christ changes people, not just at the surface, but at the very foundation. And when your foundation is healed, then everything else can come into line. Family, work, marriages, our inner struggles, our relationships. We're going to be reading from John chapter 20 uh, this morning. Jesus has been crucified and buried. And we see earlier in the passage, the burial of Jesus, the two most unexpected people show up. Uh, out of the shadows, Joseph and Nicodemus. Then we read of the empty tomb, the proof around that, that Jesus had in fact risen from the dead. That in that tomb, the nothingness was everything. The emptiness of the tomb was the triumph over death. Andy Stanley, a pastor in America, puts it brilliantly. He says, nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected nobody. I love that. So I want to look at this uh, encounter of the risen Jesus appearing to Mary following his resurrection. And this is the only gospel that records this dialogue with Mary. Uh, we read she was delivered by Jesus of uh, great anguish, great troubles in Luke chapter 8. There was demons inside her that Jesus cast out. And uh, an amazing story. And now we have her meeting with Jesus here. So I wonder... Uh, Lorna, could you be our Bible distributor? Is that okay? Could you get our Bibles? If anyone, let's give a wee cheer for Lorna. Thank you, Lorna. Yay. If you need a Bible, get your hand up in there and we'll get a Bible over to you. And uh, we'd love you to have a Bible at home if you don't have one at home. And we're going to be reading from John chapter 20. No Bibles. No Bibles. Yay. There we go. Wonderful. And we're going to start at verse 11. And let's pray before we read God's word. Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing each and every one of us here this morning. Thank you that there is purpose in this moment for you bringing us here. There's a reason for bringing us here. And I pray that, that we would just be open to that, whatever that is, where you're speaking, where you're prodding, where you're whispering where you're stirring, where you're challenging, that we'd be open to listen. We bring our whole lives to you. And we say, speak, Lord, we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Starting at verse 11, it should be on the screen as well. It's very small, I'm sorry, but we'll, we'll crack on. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb. I don't even know if that's the right. Oh, I've started at verse 1. Anyway, we'll move swiftly on. Verse 11. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated 
where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Amen. Amen. So this passage with Mary, uh, and there's a continued theme with the disciples listening to Jesus, with people around Jesus when Jesus is speaking. And time and time again, they're just not getting it. They're not quite listening to what Jesus is saying. We see it time and time again. I will rise again. I will defeat death. I will feed these thousands of people. I will change this water into wine. I will heal these people. And there's just moments where things aren't quite clicking. There's limits. There's boundaries. And it got me thinking a little bit about how we can do the same thing. Got me thinking about how we can limit God. God is without end, limit, or boundary. There's absolutely nothing that God can't do. The resurrection of Jesus was not on anyone's radar at all. It wasn't on anyone's radar. Death was death. It reads like a a far-fetched movie. But he did rise again for us, and he did defeat death for us. And he does do things that are not on our radar. And this is the way that God often works. Transformational, powerful, life-changing, shifting, turning around, surprising. Commentators uh, say this, not being able to fully understand God is frustrating, but it's ridiculous for us to think that we have the right to limit God to something that we are capable of comprehending. What a stunted, insignificant God that would be. If my mind is the size of a soda can and God is the size of all the oceans, it would be stupid for me to say he is only the small amount of water I can scoop into my little can. God is so much bigger, so far beyond our time and taste dependent lives. Such a good analogy, such a good picture, isn't it? About limiting God. So let's look at Mary in the passage. She was devoted to Jesus with great thankfulness. She would have listened to Jesus' teaching. She would have followed him as the disciples did. She would have uh, seen what Jesus was doing. She had that love that overflowed for Jesus. Her reaction in the passage showed us this. But the weeping that described in the passage that we read, it wasn't a tear. It was a loudly expressed woe of an inconsolable mourner. Which, given what Jesus would say to his followers before, is reinforcing the misunderstanding of uh, his earlier words. 
So Mary's upset that the body is missing. In verse 13, we read that. She's upset. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. She says to the angels. Then she saw Jesus, and in verse 15, Mary alluded it to it earlier in the service. She thought, thinking he was the gardener. She thought Jesus was the gardener. If you've carried him away, tell me, and I will get him. Commentators again say she was looking for him in the grave in the one place in all the universe where he cannot now be seen. She was searching for a corpse instead of a victorious Lord. Easter changes everything. Easter changes everything. This has never happened before. How often do we look at God with human limitations? For Mary, she was with him. She touched him. She was right next to him. She's seen him. How often do we put human limitations on a God who's big, on a God whose love for us meant sending Jesus as a sacrifice for us, defeating sin, and we often will confine Jesus into a, a nice safe box or a nice safe space. And when we have nowhere to turn, we maybe choose other things instead. We have a victorious Lord. We have a victorious Lord. Beth Moore uh, says, the power of the resurrection means that nothing but the tomb is meant to be empty. I love that. Let me read it again. The power of the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus, who defeated death, means that nothing but the tomb is meant to be empty. Maybe some of us this morning know in the deepest places, we just feel empty. Maybe you know there's a gaping hole. Maybe you thought your life would have panned out a certain way, and it hasn't. Maybe you're disappointed at where you're at just now. And you thought, I thought I'd be here by now. Maybe you're just living each day, each week, each year, knowing there's something, there's something missing. There's something I feel there's just emptiness. I just don't know that I'm looking for something. I want to encourage you to respond to the risen Jesus this morning. Respond to the risen Jesus. Is Jesus just a part? Is he just boxed in? Is he limited? Does he just help out with some things? Does he just give us comfort with some parts of our lives? Perhaps you think, I believe in God, so that I'm, I'm a good person. Or are we in full view of Jesus, his limitless and indescribable power? Are we in full view? Are we allowing him into all of our lives? When I think of full view, I think of uh, pictures. I think of photography. I used to do quite a bit of photography back. I say quite a bit. I've done a couple of friends' weddings and uh, really enjoyed it. I love uh, I love getting up to the hills or just some nice scenery and, and taking photos. I love it. Mary's got a fancy new phone where she can literally crop out anything. So she can take a picture. And so she can take a picture of the church today. 
and she could go, oh, I'm going to take me out of the picture. And she like rubs it and it disappears. And the chair that she was sitting on appears. And I'm like, how on earth? It's like the, the Google Pixel phone. So we could take a photo of the projector and we could rub over the projector. And like the wall behind the projector will appear. How? I don't know how they do it. Crazy. It's crazy. Why am I telling you this? Let me get back into my notes. I wonder, I wonder if we do the same thing with Jesus sometimes. We crop. Living in full view of Jesus means every part of our lives are impacted. There's no side or part that we rub out and we go, not that part, Jesus. It's a full kind of 360, all-in, panoramic, living in full view kind of faith. We bring it all. We bring the dirty, rotten parts. We bring the shameful. We bring the dusty. We bring the proud. We bring the dreams. We bring the things that are exciting us. We bring the things that are hurting us. We don't go, oh, Jesus, you can have this stuff, the exciting stuff. I know you're real, but this pain I'm feeling, I'm not going there. We bring it all to him. Full view. Full view. God doesn't want us here missing out. He doesn't want us here missing out. Just coming, merely coming along. Just filling over the cracks. And then a couple of weeks later, same cracks. He wants to get into the foundations. He wants to get into the foundations. And I just felt as well as I was preparing that phrase, sometimes you've got to knock it down to build it up again. I just felt the Lord maybe just wants to knock down some stuff in our lives to build up again, to get down to the foundations. I, I'm not much of a builder, but I watch some grand designs, and I see sometimes where they build, uh, they buy these places, and they look beautiful at the offset. I'm like, oh, you could do something really nice with this house. But what they end up doing is getting rid of it, and I always turn around to Mary, and I go, what have they done? They got rid of a perfectly good house, but they need to knock it down to build it back up again. And I just felt for some of us, the Lord, and he's, he's, so, he's so kind in those moments, He's so kind in those moments. Maybe for one or two of us, we just know that that is a, a journey that we have to go on this Easter Sunday. This Easter Sunday. So Mary is in this turmoil. She's waited behind at the tomb to mourn the empty grave. And Jesus is gone. And she has a dialogue with the gardener, who we know is Jesus. He doesn't recognize Jesus. But the moment Jesus says, Mary... It all changes. It's like a light bulb moment. It's like the voice of Jesus, Mary. And everything changes in that moment. I love, I love that little dialogue. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And there's something about when someone we know calls our name. And my boys call my name or shout daddy or I call their names and they may be lost in the supermarket because they're on the sweetie aisle asking what things they want and I've got messages to get and there's no time. And I turn around and I see their faces. They're looking a bit like, where are you? And I just shout out their names and they look around. He's going to be okay in this big, massive supermarket. He's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. Maybe that's our word this morning. He's going to be okay. He's going to be calling us by name. Mary going to be okay. Mike and Ruth, it's going to be okay. Maureen, it's going to be okay. Rory, it's going to be okay. Emma, it's going to be okay. Gavin, it's going to be okay. Julie, it's going to be okay. He calls us by name. He knows us. 
He knows us. He knows about our struggles. He knows about our mistakes. He knows about our dreams. He knows it all. He knows it all. When the world is in turmoil, when everything around us doesn't seem to let up, Jesus brings restoration, resurrection, relationship. And I wrote, this time it's personal. It sounds like a movie trailer, (laughs) just as I'm reading it. This time it's personal. It's a personal relationship. When we have nowhere to go, he brings his comfort. Maybe a few of us are there this morning. We just don't know where to go in our lives. I'd love peace right now, or I'd love direction. One word from Jesus removed the darkness from our souls, and that word was her name. She recognized his voice, and when she heard, everything changed. Just to close, there's a story of a little girl who, on the way home from church, turned to her mom and said, Mom, the preacher's sermon this morning confused me. This wasn't in our church. I'd like to... Okay, I'm joking. The mother said, oh, why is that? The girl replied, well, he said God, that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? Yes, that's true, the mother replied. He also said that God lives within us. Is that true? Again, the mother replied, yes. Well, said the girl, if God is bigger than, in us, bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? Just last week, I heard uh, an illustration very similar to this uh, of a man who was explaining, imagine you were an apple carton, apple juice carton. You're walking about, apple juice carton. What would people expect to be in you? Apple juice. But imagine you tipped over and what came out was orange juice. Just doesn't fit, does it? If we are Jesus followers, if we believe and trust in the resurrected Jesus, if he is in our lives, if he is shaping us, if we are in relationship with him, What should be pouring out? Challenging, isn't it? Challenging. Because we are a resurrection people. Living for Jesus means Jesus should be alive in our lives, alive in our worlds. We tell of the things that he has done for us and continue to do for us. We remember that he is for us, that he is with us. We remember the victory of Easter and that we are free, that we are a resurrection people D.A. Carson says, you're not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. I love that. I love that. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? I just want to pray over us and invite God's presence to come. He's here. He's here. As I was speaking, I, I could feel it. I could feel it as I was speaking. There's some resurrection moments. Our vision as a church is that this place would be a place where we come alive. And I just scribbled down furiously during the countdown before we taught, uh, before I was speaking, just for these resurrection moments. And I, I, I just loved uh, for you just to get into a place where you could receive. Whatever that looks like for you, it might be just closing your eyes, uh, maybe putting your hands out if you want to. Just, uh, or just staying still. And I just want to pray these things, these resurrection moments over us on this Easter Sunday. And that the resurrected King is resurrecting us. Lord, I want to pray for the dead parts in our lives. I want to pray for the forgotten parts. I want to pray for the, the downright ugly parts, Lord. I want to pray for the parts that we've locked up. 
I want to pray for the parts of our lives that we've given up on, Lord.